our view on what we're trying to do is is to resegment in the entire sales and marketing stack as we would think about it now. Everything from top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, you know, we think all of it changes. Like in a world where the customer has all the control, like the whole stack that we've built our businesses around makes no sense anymore. And so we are systematically going down that funnel and rethinking all of it. You are listening to Innovators, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I am your host, Zach DeWitt. Today, we are joined by David Kinsell, the CEO of Drift. Drift is the world's leading conversational marketing and sales platform that helps businesses connect now with the customers who are ready to buy now. When you visit a website, Drift will allow the customer to instantly start chatting with a bot or a sales rep to get their questions answered quickly. Drift now serves over 150,000 businesses and is one of the fastest growing SaaS companies, recently being named to the Forbes Cloud 100 and LinkedIn Top 50 Startups list. David is a successful entrepreneur who has built multiple businesses, and prior to Drift, he was the chief product officer at HubSpot, a $7 billion public company. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode as David talks about his philosophy on company building and why AI is important for Drift's success. David, excited to have you on today. Please introduce yourself. Thanks for having me, Zach. My name is David Cancel, and I'm the CEO and founder of Drift. And David, tell us a little bit about your background uh, over the last you know, decade. Good. I'm glad that you restrained it to a decade because the background goes on forever. So I've been doing last decade all SaaS based companies. Uh, if I go back exactly a decade ago, I started a company in 2009 called Performable, which was kind of a next generation marketing automation tool. Uh, we sold that company to HubSpot, which was probably like a 250 person company at that point. And then I was chief product officer at HubSpot through IPO, uh, which meant I own engineering product, operations, uh, design, all that kind of stuff. Everything that has to do with the actual production of the product, including product strategy. And we did a marketing product, which is what we're known they were known for. And then we built a CRM and we built a sales solution. And so we, we started to expand that horizontally for that same customer base. And then in 2015... Uh, I started Drift. I left uh, HubSpot and started Drift. And I saw that you were an entrepreneur in residence at Harvard. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and, and how that came to be. Sure. So I have a lot of, for years now, I've done a lot of guest lecturing, uh, mostly in product tracks, but also in different startup classes, whether uh, that's for basically different professors like Tom Eisenman and other professors that I've become friends with over time and then other like former venture and former entrepreneurs who have become who have decided to teach classes there and so I've uh, just ended up being there a lot and then uh, they asked me to be an EIR two years ago now I think I'm I think I might be coming up on my third term. It might be the second and a half term that I'm starting. But I just thought it was interesting in that I've spent a lot of my time trying to, through blogging many years ago and then videos and other stuff of just trying to share kind of the stuff that I've learned mostly through pain. And the reason that I wanted to share it was that my 
thought is that, or the thing that guides me is that, hey, we all learn through failure. It doesn't have to be our own. And so like, I'm trying to share at least some of the pain and struggles that I've gone through, through brute force uh, with other people. And hopefully, hopefully that'll help them have a little less pain. Everyone will have pain, but maybe a little less. No, that's awesome. You're doing that. I was um, at HBS in 2017. And, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's great that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs come back to campus and, and help educate the grad students. That's, that's wonderful you do that. And, and you're very involved with the Boston tech community, right? So you're, you're a mentor at Techstars, advisor at Dormer Fund, Rough Draft Ventures, obviously at HBS, you know, you played an important role at HubSpot, which is one of the, you know, most successful companies in Boston. What's it like being an entrepreneur in Boston? And, and what's the tech scene like? Uh, it's changed over the time. You know, I've been here since 2000, so 19 years. I moved up here. I moved from New York where I did my first startups and I moved to Boston chasing a girl uh, who is now my wife. And I didn't, the first time I had been in Boston was the first day that I had moved to Boston. I had never been here. I didn't know anyone here. And so uh, it was a different world. I mean, there was largely an more enterprise-focused world when I got here, largely outside of the city, 128 kind of belt, which is, you know, like a half hour away. And it was, you know, a different era. And now, I mean, it's a it's a dynamic place, largely for B2B businesses, I'd say. Those are the ones that I, at least I know. And so, like, there's all sorts of companies that have spawned up. Some of them have spawned up from, which is the most interesting thing to me from some of the older companies that we started, like, you know, Performer, we started Performer. We had a couple companies who have started as alumni out of that. One of them is called Clavio, which is just on fire right now. And the other one is called AppQs. And those are both, you know, first three employees there. We've had uh, other companies spawn from my product team at HubSpot. And so like, we're now starting to see, um, you know, these like multi-generational is too strong of a, a term, but we're seeing like this kind of growth coming from some of the early stuff that we did, which is to me the most satisfying thing that's happened. Yeah. Where, where did this entrepreneurial bug come from? I mean, you, you, you've been starting companies and involved in, in, in startups in many different capacities and you obviously, you know, seem to seem to love it. So, you know, what, what was the inspiration for being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think it's come, you know, it came from, I would guess my parents, you know, my parents both emigrated here to the U.S. And um, and so they worked for themselves, which sounds more glorious than it was. You know, it was pretty hard. And so I grew up in a household where, uh, you know, they worked seven days a week and kind of just to make ends meet. And so, you know, I kind of grew up around that. I, I had this idea that I wanted to start a business, although I didn't know what a business was. And at the time, this is pre-internet. And so like, or at least pre-commercial internet. And so it was hard to figure out all of the stuff that's very easy to figure out now. And so like, uh, I didn't really have any role models. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have a model that I could follow. And so I didn't really know what it meant. And um, I think I also have a personality type that my wife would say I don't like being told what to do. And so like, uh, which is, you know, a perfect thing for entrepreneurs. And so like, I, I don't think I could be functional in a large organization because of my personality type. And then, um, you know, I'd say that my advantage has been and was back then that I could figure things out on one end and I wasn't afraid of, of that failure because I didn't have anything to lose, right? I didn't have, I was coming from a background where, you know, like if I failed, I didn't have much on the line. And I was also at the beginning of a massive shift, which was like the commercial internet. And so I could ride that wave and I could figure out things in a time where just knowing them right? Just being able to, to spell an acronym was uh, was enough to allow you to get into that area. 
So let's talk a little bit about where the inspiration for Drift came from. So as, as you know, the chief product officer at HubSpot, you were seeing a lot of interesting trends unfolding, you know, in, in, the, in the B2B space and marketing space. Um, so is that where the inspiration come from, just being on the front lines? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it with the word trends. So I think, you know, early in my career, the startups, the companies that I started largely came out of internal pains or kind of ideas that I had. They, I, I would categorize them as like idea-driven companies. And that was very different than starting Drift. Drift was a trend-focused company, right? And what I mean by that is that we were more focused on what were the macro changes that we were seeing happening? Uh, what is the momentum that's already in the world? What are the behavior changes that has already happened? And how do we use those things? And can we use those things to resegment existing markets? So it's a very different approach to starting a company. Uh, and one where, you know, kind of matches my own evolution as a, as an entrepreneur. And, and so like back then it was more about like, this is what I want to build. This is my idea. This is my thing. And, uh, which led to a lot of pain, I will tell you, because trying to create your own momentum is, you know, near impossible, or you have to wait a really long time, uh, for momentum to show up or hopefully on the right side of history versus us starting drift and saying like, you know, we left HubSpot, myself, my co-founder, and said, like, what are the macro changes that are happening? We saw this kind of shift happening in the we, – we believed we saw, and we do believe it now, this paradigm shift happening where, you know, HubSpot and the stuff that we built in the past performable and everything else that I built was built in this world of where the company had all the control and the company could dictate the sales and marketing process that you would go through as a business buyer. And all the way to starting Drift, and we thought like, wait, the, the world had fundamentally changed. There is a paradigm shift that's happened. Most companies haven't realized it. And now all the power is in the buyer because the buyer has infinite choice now, right? And has accessibility to all the information in the world that they would want about any product or service, especially in SaaS markets. But this is true in direct-to-consumer and everything else. Like They have infinite choice from a com competition standpoint and all the information arbitrage is leaning their way. And so in that world, like the, all of a sudden the power moves. And in that world, we thought like, oh, wow, sales and marketing software as we know it and customer success software and everything else on the go-to-market side of things doesn't really make sense anymore in the way that we were thinking about marketing automation and uh, nurturing and lead scoring and all that kind of stuff that we all depended on. doesn't really make sense if the buyer has all the power and the company doesn't. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Drift and and what is what does Drift do? What's what's the core product and how do customers use Drift? Drift is uh, you know we have multiple products uh, at this point, but the product that we're known for is that we came in and said like messaging was one of these mega trends that we saw that was past the tipping point, and we said like okay, it's been around my entire career, but like no one's really used messaging in a really sales approach. They've tried to, but the tools that had existed in the past, chat, which existed on websites, wasn't really was built for more support, wasn't really built to handle uh, qualification and routing and all these kind of like sales-driven needs. And so we said, okay, because the tipping point had already tipped, why don't we re-segment this market and think about like using chat as the entry point? Like who, again, if the power moves to the buyer, the buyer wants an instantaneous answer to their question. They don't care about your form or your lead process or waiting, you know, two weeks for a sales rep to get back to you if they get back to you. And so like we wanted the shortest path to 
revenue for these companies was have a conversation because if you have salespeople within your organization, they've never sold anything without a conversation. So like, let's remove all the roadblocks. Let's use messaging on your website to one, identify the right prospects, but then message and route them and qualify them to the right people. And then that'll be the shortest path to revenue. And so that's what we do for our customers now. We are the shortest path to revenue. We are measured. We are a messaging chat product that lives on your website, but we are measured by our customers in terms of the amount of meetings that we generate, the amount of pipeline on a dollar basis that we generate, and the amount of pipeline, again, that we close. That is closed because it originated through Drift. And that's how they measure success for us. It's not about chats and it's not about support and it's not about all that other stuff, which is important, but not what we do. So, David, there's a lot of chat bots out there, and obviously you found tremendous success just looking at your financing history. You know, have attracted CRV and General Catalyst and Sequoia and, you know, world-class investors supporting you. What makes you um, so successful and so differentiated in, in, in what's somewhat of a crowded market? Yeah, super crowded market. Uh, I'd say, you know, I'd say as a entrepreneur, I think we're taught to run from crowded markets, you know, uh, depending on how you read and interpret, you know, blue ocean strategy, you know, blue oceans and red oceans. I, I at this point run towards commoditized markets and say like, because I, there are markets and that, that means there's money in them. What you have to figure out is like, can you use something? And we use messaging in this case to resegment that market. And so we ran to that market and there was a lot of chat products out there. And there were some bots when we started, uh, when we built ours, but we didn't see any bot in market that was built around the sales process, specifically around qualification and routing and especially complicated routing uh, that's needed for our type of customer. There are plenty of them now, right? There's a lot of followers at this point that have done that, but that was our entry point. I think, you know, what's different and why we attracted the investors that we did is kind of, we have a very long view on what we're doing right now. We have a wedge into the market to let us get in the middle of these, these conversations or this one type of conversation. But our view on what we're trying to do is, is to resegment in the entire sales and marketing stack as we would think about it now. Everything from top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, you know, bottom being the CRM, middle being marketing automation and scoring and routing, and top being what we do at the top of the website. Like we think all of it changes. Like in a world where the customer has all the control, like the whole stack that we've built our businesses around over the last 15, 20 years, like makes no sense anymore. And so we are systematically going down that funnel and rethinking all of it. Is the idea that you could ultimately replace Salesforce at some point if all of the customer conversations are being captured on your website, that data, that raw data can be ingested automatically and cleansed in, into your own CRM and you don't have to rely on overworked and tired sales reps putting incomplete information into a CRM. Yeah, I think that that is part of the idea. And, and it really is like kind of stepping back and we look at everything and kind of question, we, get, we have this luxury, right, starting the company now and question like, what are these things and what do they make sense? And, you know, we think about them in terms of like metaphors and we say like, look, what is a CRM? And we built a CRM at, at HubSpot and it has many hundreds of thousands of users. But like if we just step back and think about what is a CRM, a CRM is kind of a relational database, right? I.e. a table or i.e. a spreadsheet for people who use spreadsheets. And in order for it to be able to work, and it was built in a world where you couldn't capture the conversation, you couldn't capture the actual activity that was happening. Therefore, you needed this meta database that was 
And the way that you would enter stuff in the database was through humans, i.e. salespeople or BDRs or CSMs or whatever kind of person that would enter in data that was supposed to tell you about the conversation, tell you about the activity that just happened. But, you know, we are humans and those humans are not motivated to want to enter stuff in there and they would enter in the bare minimum, but they needed to enter it into a perfectly into the perfect format, right? Because it's a relational database in order to, to be able to do the things and the wonderful things that CRMs can do. But we stepped back and said, okay, we have the luxury of starting the company now and saying like, what about now we can be in the middle of, whether it's physical or digital, we could actually be in the middle of the actual conversation flows that are happening between the prospect or the customer and the company. And we can capture all of it. We could decode it. We could make sense of it. We could maybe skip the whole process of entering in into anything and actually make it accessible. And so like it makes you rethink everything if you start and say like and really analyze what is this thing? Why does it exist? How would we do it at this point? And all of it didn't make sense anymore. Like this metadata database about conversations, but it has no conversations in it and activities, but it doesn't have the actual activity in it. And it's like the whole thing doesn't make sense, right? When at the end of the day, like the point is, if you have salespeople, you want the fastest path to a conversation because you cannot sell without the conversation. Whether that conversation is digital or physical, that is the end point. Everything else gets in the way. So walk me through how a real customer is using Drift and also what that means for the customer on the other end who's coming to the website and interacting you know, with, with this chatbot. Um, I think that would be a, a great example to walk through for our listeners. When we built the bot, you know, we thought like, oh, well, I don't know if people are going to use this, meaning the prospect or the, the customer on the other end. What we found out pretty quickly was that they would use anything as long as, including a bot, if it was the fastest path to their question. And a lot of the questions that we would see coming in for our customers happen off hours, right? And so like they would go nowhere if we didn't have this bot. So the bot is basically your best salesperson working 24 seven, 365 with answers that we know have worked statistically in the past. And so like, you know, we have customers all over the place, but if you have a customer like, Zora or someone like that, you know, Zora is selling high end, you know, enterprise sales. And so they have a, probably a target list of target accounts out there. And so they probably have an ABM strategy that they're going after. And so what they want is if there's only whatever the number is, let's make up a number, a fake number, 5,000 companies in the world who could use Zora. Well, if one of those 5,000 companies comes to your website, Zora's website, they better have a personal experience, right? Because they are walking into the Ferrari dealership where most people do not walk into. And so you want that super personalized process. And so in the case of them, let's say someone sent out a targeted email, whether it's a sales rep or a marketer sends out to one of those 5,000 companies. When that person comes from the email to the website, all of a sudden they see Drift, the chatbot. But not only do they see the chat, but they have a personalized message that welcomes them to the website. They have the actual face of the rep or the account manager who owns that account that if they were to answer or ask a question, that rep or account manager knows that that is going to be routed to them. It's not going to go back into the pool and they're going to lose it. And so, and on the buyer side, they know that they have the fastest path to the answer to their question. And they have this kind of like concierge, like kind of first class experience. So like all of that basically cuts out the existing process, which the existing process today would be like send a highly targeted marketing or sales campaign to get them to the website, hope they fill out a form again, or maybe get, you know, some lead alert in your email 
hours, weeks later, but now you have to go back to the phone, back to the email and try to get them engaged again and have a conversation. Instead, we shortcut all that and say they land on the website, they have a question, they have an immediate conversation. The rep or the account manager knows nothing except that they get a ping on their phone if they happen to be awake that says, hey, Zach is on the website. He's from one of our target accounts. You want to talk to him right now? Oh, yeah, I want to talk to him right now. So it flips the entire model. It kind of inverts. So we think about inversion a lot and it inverts the model. It says it starts with the buyer versus starts with the company. That's fascinating. I mean, that, that's really um, compelling, right? Because it allows you to um, have assistance if you're asleep or out of the office, you know, and you have the bot basically take on your initial sales conversation for you, but it can be, uh, you can pick it up as soon as you uh, wake up or back in the office. And you feel like you have a much more constant contact with your, with your customer, given how important these, these accounts are. Exactly. And they thought, um, it was amazing. You know, when we launched it for ourselves and we had our first rep using it, we only had one rep at the time. He came in, you know, the next day, and said, this is, he screamed that we were a tiny, tiny team. We were probably like 20 people or less. And he came in and he was like, this is bleeping magic, right? Because what had happened was overnight, all of these demo requests were scheduled automatically by the bot onto his calendar. He had an entire week of demo requests without any work on his end. They were all qualified. All the qualification questions that we would ask were filled out. They were qualified. They were put in his calendar. He did no work. At first, we were like, this is amazing. But in the back of our heads, we were like, maybe this thing is broken. Like, how do we have so many demo requests here? And so we go and hand audit all and look through it and like, wow, these are all real. Right. And those people had a better experience because the prospects, because they got to choose when this person was going to get back to them, how they were going to get back to them. They were going to Zoom me. They were going to call me. They were going to do whatever it was. And so it was buying on their terms. And this rep did nothing. Right. They did nothing. They didn't even know how the bot worked. All they knew was Google Calendar had demo requests lined up for them for their entire day. And so that's what we see happening with our customers. We had one of our customers is uh, Marketo, and we had a Mar- you know one of the uh, people on the Marketo team posted on LinkedIn. I was just reading, and they were saying like you know their team, their uh, sales team refers to Drift as like you know it rains leads, right? It rains leads onto their calendars. That's all they know. And so like that was part of the design process for us from the very beginning of like the rep shouldn't even know what Drift is. Right. The, ideally, they don't log into anything. They don't even know what it is. They just know things show up on my calendar. That's so seamless. What, what, how long does it take you to get set up with a customer uh, once they agree to buy? You know, the answer is like it depends on the customers. We have customers who set up on their own within an hour on their own. And then we have customers who are more enterprise and have global routing, global, global rules and, you know, 100 AEs or SDRs or BDRs or a combination of that. And so like it really is at the pace of the customer. And so some customers start big and some start small. We advise all of our customers to start as small as possible with the, and not boil the ocean and we really, from a go-to-market standpoint, run a land and expand motion of like, let's just prove success with a, the smallest possible team. If we prove success, much like a Slack or a Zoom, we will grow within an, within an org, uh, no doubt about it. And that is what has happened with all of our top customers. What would you say, the, and you're doing many hard things, but what would you say the hardest thing you're doing or building at Drift is? Building the people, I think, is, you know, I would say, you know, you have the three machines, as Brad Feld said, you know, in one of his old articles, you know, he, he had this idea of like, there are three machines in business, there's the company machine, there's the product machine, there's the people machine. And like, I am a product 
person. And so like the product machines are kind of easier for me. There's a lot of really hard work. So I don't want to like discount it, like insanely hard work on there, but it's like, it's known, right? It's like a known known. And then you have the company machine and we can, whatever we don't know from that, we can kind of emulate from, from others and we can learn from that. The people machine is pretty darn hard. Uh, and that's the one where we spend all of our energy because, and the, the people are not only the people inside the building, but they are your customers. They are your investors. They are your community. They are like, that stuff is hard, right? Like that's the hard stuff. And I always laugh about, you know, that I spent the first half of my career thinking that 99% of building a business was about the technology, the product, the go-to-market, the, you know, models, the operations, like all the stuff that we actually talk about all the time within businesses. And that 1% was, you know, the people. And now I'm like, it's 99% people. It's like 1% all the other stuff that we talk about. Because it's like, how do you get people? How do you motivate people? How do you keep them motivated? How do you grow people? How do you, as you're going through different stages, right, of where, where we were like a 20-person company to 300 to 1,000, like, how do you keep people growing through those stages? And how do you bring in the right people that you need at that point? That's really hard because people are, people are hard, as you know. No, it's an incredibly hard problem. And, and it's even, you know, the, the competition for talent is only increasing, especially in cities like San Francisco and Boston and New York. And but most people want to talk about the other stuff. They want to talk about like this tech and that thing. It's like that stuff's like easy. That's like the easy stuff, right? We're not, you know, like we're not doing unknown unknowns here, right? Like we are, we are working on stuff that is addressable, like we can address it. And it is really hard from a tech standpoint and go to market standpoint and selling and all that stuff. But people, man, that's rough. Totally. Actually, that's a common theme that I've just observed in this podcast. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, answer the question the same way. It's just, it's all about people and, you know, keeping them um, motivated and, and inspired and, you know, making sure they, they mesh together. So I'm um, glad you said that. So, so David, how is Drift using artificial intelligence or machine learning? Yeah, uh, deeply in all areas. I'd say uh, our bot and everything that we do, especially on the enterprise side of things where we have more sophistication, is where we've poured and um, machine learning from the very beginning. And so we've acquired companies who have kind of fast forwarded us on some of the machine learning aspects of what we do and um, really on kind of like labeling the labeling side of the technology. And so like we did an acquisition on a company recently in that area. And so like that part is pretty important. It also is like the future of what I think our business model will become someday is built around this idea of uh, machine learning and intelligence, but it also is built around people. And so I think like I have this whole thought, which is part of what Drift is, is like, you know, I, I thought that from the beginning, I thought like, you know, when we started the company, I said like, we're not building a software company. I said that from the beginning and um, that we're not building a software company because like nobody cares about software anymore. Like software is zero. Software is embedded in everything. And when it, when something is in everything, the value goes down. What people care about now is like these experiences that they can get and outcomes that they get. And like the better the experience, the better the outcome, the more that they're willing to pay for that. They don't really care exactly how it actually works anymore. Like some of us geeks like care about that and we historically cared about that a lot. And I think the whole world shifts, right? The whole world shifts from this kind of SaaS-based model that we all know to a very different model that is like uh, really at the heart of it. AI is at the heart of it because, and you see some of this happening in the RPA space right now on the back office side of things, right? Like where things become more of a, 
a utility that we don't really understand what the what is software, what is AI slash machine learning, and then what is human. And guess what? Nobody actually wants to know that that part. That part is more of an internal kind of thing where you know the more that you can move into AI, machine learning, and into software, the better your margins will be. But the customer doesn't care what your margin profile is. Like I think that's a that was a problem that we had inflicted on the customer in the the past era or the, the current era of SaaS was built around this model, right? And it was fueled by our investors and the street and whoever about like certain margin profiles that we wanted and we don't want services because it's one time, you know, multiples and blah, 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 blah. But guess what? The customer doesn't care. And what we did as an industry was to inflict all the pain on the customer and say, we only do software. You got to figure out how to implement. You got to figure out how to go to a partner. You got to figure out how to certify and train. Uh, that's not our problem, right? But at the same time, you know, we're being judged and valued on our, uh, on our net dollar retention, right? So those two things are in conflict. And then that worked well in a world where, really well, in a world where the company had all the control, you had a low, no, low number of true competitors in your set. But if you move and you fast forward to a world which we are going into, we're in the middle of right now, of kind of infinite competition and infinite competition at a global scale, right, with large addressable markets and people and software being embedded in everything and where people don't care about how this stuff actually gets done, then I think the company of the future looks very different. And so an AI, to answer your question, machine learning is key to that because that uh, allows you to get towards the margin profiles that you want long term, where you couldn't do that if it was just software and managed services internally. So I think it becomes the key to this kind of company of the future. And that's a company that we're trying to build. Yeah, no, I mean, machine learning based companies can can have higher margins and it can also have uh, more of a competitive moat, right? The more data you ingest, it's a virtuous flywheel. Uh, you better serve your customers and train your models better. So it's great to hear that it's such a core aspect of what made Drift so successful. What's been the most challenging part of working with AI or ML? All sorts, you know, people on one end, which is, you know, how do we hire enough and how do we keep up in this kind of arms race of, of machine learning and, and intelligence? The other, you know, is that how much do we expose to the customer? And I think we're going through that whole transformation right now ourselves and uh, saying like, you know, do people want to become experts at building these kind of flows and understanding the nuance and and what it takes to actually build these kind of things? Or do people want that basically done for them? And we're on the side, obviously, uh, given my rant about, you know, it's got to be done for them. And so we're in transition right now ourselves of going from a world where we have customers design trees effectively, right? Trees. And of course, there's intelligence behind that and to a world where maybe they don't design any of that stuff. Maybe it's based on the understanding the conversations themselves. Maybe we auto-create whatever version of a tree that we create and whatever labeling that we have to do to understand these different things. So we're living through that right now. I don't have an answer right now. And so like how it gets done, but we think it's important. We think that, you know, how much we expose to a customer is probably one of the bigger pain points that we're trying to figure out. Oh, that's, yeah, it's fascinating, actually. You know, that, that's always a question, which is, uh, there's a lot of explainability issues around AI. So how much you expose and how much you talk about it is, is, a, is an important strategy question. Beyond Drift, how do you think AI and ML will change our business economy? Kind of touching on what I was talking about earlier, I think like the whole notion of SaaS and how we sell, you know, at least I'll talk B2B because that's my world. I don't, I can't talk outside of that. 
totally changes. And I think we're going to have a, and it's kind of evolution that we went through in on-prem software. So we had on-prem software. Then we had a generation of managed services where we could buy this managed service. Then we went into SaaS. So we went back to do it yourself. We're going to go back towards, right? Everything is cyclical. We're going to go back to a future version, which is kind of a managed service SaaS model. But in this case, it'll be largely AI driven. So it will not just be like, bodies on this thing. Uh, And so I think the whole way that we look at SaaS and how we even look at metrics, so like how will you evaluate metrics for these companies, much like the first generation of these companies, which we want to be one of them, we will have the same issues that Salesforce had when they went public of trying to explain to the street, you know, how do you evaluate these companies? Like what are the metrics that, that are healthy? What are the jobs in these companies? And so I think we're going to have all those same issues coming up of like, how do you evaluate this company where it's like, what is it? Is it software? Is it service? Is it AI? Is it all three? You know, I use models like in the consumer world and say like, look, I used Uber this morning to get to the office. What is Uber? I don't know what it is, right? Like, I don't know if it's software. I don't know if it's logistics. I don't know if it's people. I don't know if it's cars. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much AI is in it or not AI in it. And just earlier today, I searched on Google and I got some results back. What part of that was AI and what part of that was human? Which one, who was doing the labeling on this stuff? How much of it was software? How much of it was, I don't know. And like, I don't care, like in those examples. And uh, and I think the same is going to be true in all business services and software that we use. Like, you're not going to care about exactly how those things get done. We're just going to find the best experience and the best outcome for our problem and our, you know, budget. Do you think it'll even be possible in five years to buy software that doesn't have artificial intelligence or machine learning as part of its core architecture? No way. Absolutely not. And I speak only in the business world uh, sense because I I focus on B2B. Absolutely not. There's no way because I think it's a flawed model, right? The model of take this software, go figure it out and do it yourself and it doesn't get any smarter. You have to get smarter, blah, blah, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like it, it makes no sense. Not in this world, not in a world where you have infinite supply, where like in any SaaS category that you want to get into, like the supply is in, near infinite at this point. And the, the rate of competition that we see in any SaaS category is accelerating. It's not holding flat. It's not decelerating. So like in that world, it's impossible. Totally agree. What advice do you have for new entrepreneurs who are building AI-powered businesses today? You know, the same that I would have, you know, I have for us internally and that I have from the very beginning. The job is not to build an AI company, not to build a software company, but to build a customer-centered company and to, what I don't know, whatever your customer is or whatever customer type you have is to work backwards, right? The power has moved there. Start with there, move backwards, figure out where in that process of what you're trying to deliver to them, AI makes sense. So in other words, start with the customer versus the technology and then work backwards. And most of us, you know, technologists and product people and uh, and other people who probably listen to this want to start with the idea, the product, the technology, but the market doesn't care about that. Do you have an iPhone? I do, yes. So, you know, a good example is like, look, I have an iPhone in front of me. You have an iPhone in front of me. Can you tell me what kind of chip is in there? Uh, I probably can't with much specificity, no. Yeah, I can't either. There was a time when, and I'm older than you, where I was buying a computer and the the megahertz of the Pentium chip that I wanted in there, like I knew 
exactly what was in there. I knew exactly how much memory was in there. I knew who made that memory, right? Like that was a do-it-yourself era of computing. We are past that era. Like nobody knows. I don't know what is in this thing. I buy this phone as a service, which I get a new version every year. And then I have another service that I pay them in case I break it where they will fix it. That's all I know. That is how we should be thinking about the technology and the products that we're building for uh, the market today. Like nobody cares about that anymore. Nobody cares about like what is the the software and the version and this and that and how does it interface and how many you know Zapier Zaps or Tray integrations or MuleSoft do I have to set up to integrate it and send it? Like that whole idea, I think, goes away. Like it's crazy idea now. No, totally agree. Um, If you could clone yourself, David, do you have other businesses you would start right now? (laughs) <laughs> For sure, I have other businesses that I would start right now. I will say that going into Drift, uh, one thing was clear for me, which was like, I'm done. There's no more companies after <laughs> after Drift. So I may have ideas, but I'm not starting them. Well, we'll have people get in touch with you if they're looking for a mentor and, and some ideas to help incubate. Yeah, yeah. They could find me at HBS. So you're a little alum. You can come by and we have office hours. So how can our listeners follow the progress of Drift? If they want to be a customer, they want to uh, be an employee, um, they, you know, they want to uh, learn more, what, what, what are the best ways to get in touch? Uh, the best is our, you know, our website. So we have a blog on there and then you know, we post like crazy on LinkedIn and Instagram. So follow any of us on any of those channels or follow us directly on any of those channels or, and or Twitter and you will get as much Drift as, as you, can, you can tolerate. Awesome, David. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about, either in the AI landscape or specifically to Drift? Or no, I think you know the thing to think about is you know this really this idea of everyone I encourage that we, we we're thinking a lot about and uh, but we need more brains on, which is like what is the what is the company of the future? Like what is it really? It's not a software company. So like what is the future of software companies? And I'd love anyone's ideas on that stuff. I'd love to have discussion about it. Obviously, we can't figure it out on our own. And so like anything, um, any ideas, please pass them on. But I don't think the current model exists in 10 years. Yeah. What could that current model look like? For us, we believe it's going to look like a utility, right? It's going to look like just like an AWS would. Like there's going to be lots of different, you know, obviously that's a much more technical product, but like, I don't know how that is originated. I don't know how many people have to rack machines and take machines out and do that. Like, I don't know any of that stuff and I don't care as a developer. Same thing is going to be in business software. I'm not going to really know how these things are put together to a further degree than even AWS, right? Because SaaS is in some ways a version of that. It's going to be a version of there's going to be expertise, there's going to be training, there's going to be things doing, taking work on behalf of us in the form of, in our case, bots. I'm not really going to know how those things work. I'm going to be more measuring outcomes. And uh, as long as I have a trust, I have verif- uh, a way to verify and I have outcomes that I can measure, right? I, in our case, revenue uh, and that it's moving in the right direction and the experience is great for the customer. Like I'm not going to be worried about how those things get done. Yeah, it's really a fun exercise to think through. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts about the the future of AI and ML and how it'll impact our economy, but also the future of a company and what that means and what does that look like. So a lot more to think about, and I'd love to have you back on at some point, uh, maybe in a couple months or a year, and we can uh, check back in on these topics. But David, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for the time, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for having me on. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, the average website only converts 2% of its traffic. 
Drift is helping its customers generate more leads, convert more traffic, and book more meetings. Two, Drift is much more than a chatbot in that it is a seamless platform to coordinate and manage all customer conversations. And three, David believes that AI will be in every application over the next decade, but that the goal is never to build an AI-powered company. It is to build the best product that serves your customers' needs. Thank you for listening to Innovators. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate if you could share our podcast with one person who you think would greatly enjoy hearing about how the next wave of business leaders is using applied AI to reshape our business economy. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.